Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey there, I'm Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. I am super excited about today's guest. If you've been listening for a while, you might remember Michael Horn from episode 15 of the podcast. Last time we talked about his book, Choosing College, and how students and parents go about selecting a college. If you haven't listened to that episode or read that book, I highly recommend it. Today we're talking about Michael's newest book, Reopen to Reinvent, Recreating School for Every Child. If you're like me, frustrated with the broken system of public education, this is a conversation you will want to hear. Michael has issued a call to action for educators to reinvent and reimagine education as we know it. We all need to be asking one very important question. What do we want kids to be able to do when they leave high school? And then we need to find a way to deliver that in our schools. There's a lot to unpack here, including how parents can play an active role and be part of the solution. So let's get started. Hi, Michael. Thanks so much for being here back again on the High School Hamster Wheel podcast. Well, it's good. I get to interact with you again, which is always a plus in my life. So I I appreciate you inviting me back. Oh, that's very kind of you. And uh, we were just kind of chatting right before recording. I cannot believe it's been three years since we published episode 15. Listeners, go back and listen because it's a fantastic interview with Michael about um, another book. He's Michael's a multiple book published author. And uh, why don't you give a little bit of info about yourself, a little background, and then we'll talk about the book. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I've been working in the world of education and helping people fulfill their passions and uh, potential for almost 20 years now, which is a little wild. Uh, But I've written several books on the future of education. I got my start writing with Clayton Christensen, uh, who's sort of the father of a body of theory around how to innovate. Uh, And he wanted to apply it into schools and education. And we started in K-12, went up to college and future of work. And now I've come back to K-12 education because COVID is crazy. And there's all these things happening. And uh, a lot of the early research felt relevant again. So jump back in to try to give a book called From Reopen to Reinvent, helping both educators think through what should we be doing to help individuals make progress, and frankly, to give a voice, I think, to parents as well, so they don't have to just settle for the status quo or feel like they're just trading off all these things, but realize that they can be advocates for a better system for their child, no matter what position he or she is in. Yeah, so important. I mean, I talk about this on the podcast all the time. It's parents have a voice and they need to use it. And we need to be having these conversations. So many, we I think we talked about this last time you were on the podcast. So many of these conversations are happening at these higher levels, right? Among administrators and educators and, and school boards. But like parents really need 
this it needs to be an upswell, right? From the level of parents and and caregivers and um, guardians. So um, this is, as you know, and I think everybody knows, they're sick of hearing me. Um, a, a really a sticking point with me because as someone who has raised two kids through the public school system, one's almost done. He's a junior in high school. The need for innovation and evolution and change is clearly there, but it's not happening. So I love that you wrote this book. And I I love that it wasn't just about, you know, information and a call to action to educators. This is for everybody. Um, having read it myself, I, I took a lot of notes <laughs> and I have a lot of questions, as I always Good. do. But why don't you start with, you know, why you wrote this book and and what people can expect when they read it? Yeah, I I wanted to really lay out there just question some fundamental tenets that I think educators and parents both just sort of accept as school happens that way because school happens that way and realize that it doesn't in fact have to happen that way. And I also wanted to point out that frankly we we often think well School's working all right for my kids. I guess it's fine. It's just the way it is, but it's not working for those kids. I get it, but it's those kids. No, I wanted to be very clear. School is not working well for anyone, uh, at least in the traditional system. There, there's plenty of innovations and stuff like that that are rethinking, and that's great. But by and large, in the in the traditional dominant public school system, it is not working well for students. So we have this zero-sum mentality that there's got to be a set of winners and losers rather than what I think school should be about, which is we're trying to develop individuals so that they can be capable people that can lead meaningful lives and contribute in their communities and society more broadly. And we want every single individual to be able to figure out what am I passionate about and build into it and be their best unique version of themselves ultimately, not sort of run the rat race for its own sake. And that's the big message I think that I wanted to have come across is that no matter where you come from into the school system, the present way that it pit, pits people against each other is just, it's not working. Uh, and people are not leaving with a deeper understanding of what makes them tick and how they want to go off and present themselves and build and, and, and live their lives ultimately as they leave our K-12 system. Yeah, I think a lot of parents feel like they're banging their head against the wall, right? Because they'll go to a school board meeting or they'll go to the yeah. principal or go to a teacher and they'll say, this isn't working. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of, as you know, a lot of it's funding, right? They, there's not enough educators to customize or individualize education for kids in the public school system. Mm -hmm. And I think people have learned to just settle for good enough, right? Mm -hmm. Well, let's just get them through high school and then we'll worry about it, you know, but there's just a huge, and, and K through 12, such a huge missed opportunity, as you said, to spark their interests. What are they good at? What are they passionate about? And by the time they come, and I, and I deal with this all the time, I talk to parents, by the time they come out of high school, I have no idea what I want to do. Yeah. I don't know what I like. Maybe I'll go to college, but I have no idea what I want to study. I'm just going to go through the motions because that's what we're taught to do. Yeah. And we, we think that it's a game to be won, right? And you even see it in the mm -hmm. mentality of, of kids in, in middle school and high school. They, they just do enough to get the grade, just do enough to win the game, just do enough to get by. And 
Is there a deeper reason behind that game? They can't answer that question because, frankly, there isn't in the way that we've constructed it. Rare is the kid, frankly, like yours, who knows that they want to do cybersecurity or is very clear about what their passions are on the other side of the equation. And I think it's not that you have to know what you want to do the rest of your life. I am not saying that. But to have a deep sense of like, these are the things that excite me. These are the things that are open there. I have a deep understanding of all the different directions and horizons uh, that, that I could possibly follow. And I have a sense of how they resonate with me and so forth. And some, And I've thought about what is my purpose, right? And I've asked that question as I've done the work. We, we don't do that. And, and I think to your point about parents in that equation, for a long time, parents have just accepted that this is the way that they work. So they grumble at this meeting or they grumble at that meeting or they complain uh, to the principal or the teacher or whatever. But, but by and large, they've accepted it. I, I will say one of the things, I, when you're in this world of education, there are days where you're completely depressed and say nothing's ever going to change. And there's days where you're completely energized and you're like, the world, it's going to get better. We're, we're, we're going to move to this positive some world. Um, and I will tell you, one of the things that I think has been really healthy out of this pandemic is many more parents for the first time, I think, recognize that they have a voice in their children's education. They can make a change. They can move to another schooling option. They can advocate in a way that they didn't realize that they could. And and I get that there's friction and noise and some of those stories are spun negatively. But net-net, I think this is an extraordinarily positive because it means fundamentally that parents see themselves as able and capable of demanding more for their children and not settling for, well, I guess it's okay. And sort of grumbling. Well, and everything you're saying instills a lot of hope and makes me feel very optimistic and positive about it. But let's go back a little bit, right? Let's talk about school as it was originally intended. And like, what is the purpose of education or of schooling, I should say? Yeah, well, I I think this is a conversation that's evolved in this country. Like, if you look at the origins, right, in this particular country, it was largely we thought we ought to have a public school system and and let's start there Bef- you know you could go back even further of the origins of grammar schools and stuff but like as we thought of the common school movement in this country it was really just to preserve the democracy and over time we realized gee it has a role in preparing people for jobs and then over time we realized gosh some of those countries are beating the pants off us in terms of academic achievement we got to do better on that and then over time it became, gee, schools should help cure poverty and things like that. And so we sort of layered all these purposes. But fundamentally, I don't think as a community, and this is the big call I make in the book, we have the conversation at the level of the individual. What are we preparing the individuals to go out and, 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 and be able to do? Um, and obviously, I, I have a six-part answer in the book, um, which I confess I haven't memorized immediately. But um, <laughs> you know, But I think it's much more about understand my purpose, understand how I can develop and build my passions. Because I'm not one of those people that just believes you have one thing you could go do. It's really, you build into passions, right? Based on on positive feedback cycle. Um, Fulfilling my human potential and figuring out how I can contribute to the world, both economically, but also from a civic perspective. Um, Understand how the country works and how I can participate civically. and then understand also that 
we have differences. People disagree on things. And that's not a reason to castigate or set them aside, but that's actually the beautiful fabric of life is, is understanding differences and disagreements and leaning into that and being able to engage with it, not run from it. And so th- that's, th- those are among the elements that I put as really the purpose of school is to build that out. And I don't think we do that all that well right now uh, if, in, in most communities. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I love that you brought up like the civic interest in and change how you impact the world. It seems like this generation of learners is really, really motivated to do that, to make a difference, to have impact in some way. I, uh, of the learners I talk to anyway, yeah, um, I seem to get that sense from them. So this is a big one, but the lack of optimization in schools. Yeah. Stating the problem, what's the solution? Like, how do we do better? Yeah, it's a great question. And and I'll start with the irony right now that's really frustrating me because this is the one at the moment that's frustrating me is everyone says, oh, we need high dosage tutoring to get kids back because of all the learning loss that they've had. And we'll just sort of tack it on in the margins, but then we'll keep doing school as we've always done, where we batch kids up by their age and we'll deliver the same lesson in the same way at the same time to them. And then yeah, your kids might get it, mine might not, but we'll all progress them to the next unit and grade because they did good enough, I guess, and just keep moving them down this factory line. And it's fine. And the deep irony of that is like, if personalizing through tutoring and making sure that people master and have social connection and so forth, which is what why tutoring works, is the best way to educate kids, well, let's put that at the heart of the school system and then build out from there. And so this is the huge mindset shift I think we need to make, which is away from this sort of mass you know, standardization model to a mass customization model where we say, instead of time being fixed and everyone's learning being all over the place, that we say like, your learning can be the fixed. And if you need more time to master a concept, great. If you need less time and you can race along or you want to go deeper, great. But we're going to have a mastery-based approach where you get to work at something until you master it. And then the cool thing about that, I think, is it gets to these other parts of, of life, which is we talk about growth mindset or grit or perseverance or executive function, like the ability to plan to go meet a goal or agency, that you have the ability to influence uh, things around you through your actions, right? And you know, teachers, I think, God bless them, they talk to their blue in the face about the importance of these things, like growth mindset, you know, your intelligence is not fixed. But then they give you a grade at the end of the math unit, and it has a C on it with no ability to do anything about that. And so the system literally undermines all of that. And so you then label yourself, I guess I'm not a math person, when like maybe you just need a little more time on it, because it needs to be personalized to your pace and let you really grok the concept. And then you show mastery of it. And it's both more rigorous, you get the academic knowledge, and by the way, you've had reinforced, I can grow as an individual, I can master these things. If I stick to it and I work hard, then good things happen. All the skills that we want individuals to develop to lead happy, healthy, fulfilling, purposeful lives um, is accomplished through this mastery-based, personalized model that really meets the individual where they are. And uh, make sure that they get what they need when they need it to keep progressing. And and I just, 
sorry, the deep irony of all the yelling about tutoring. We need tutoring, and yet it's just this on the periphery. Gosh, we need to rethink the system itself to start with that and then build outwards, I think. <laughs> but how do we do that, right? Mm-hmm. And and it's it's a system problem. It's not a teacher, educator, not even that's an administrator right. problem. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's 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 it really is the system and it's through no fault of the individuals in it. And yet there are great examples of how to do that. So maybe I'll give a couple examples and then I can sort of pull back from the principles. But like Montessori schools, for example, do a great job of this. They the the whole curriculum is sort of out there in the quote prepared environment as they would say through learning materials and each student is setting goals for themselves. They work with the teachers to get the concept introduced to them in a small group format, and then they go do the learning. And then when they're ready to show evidence of their mastery, they show evidence of their mastery. And teacher says, actually, I think you need to keep working on this. You haven't quite mastered this concept yet. Or yeah, you're right. You have mastered on this. Now I get to introduce you in the next lesson. Let's make a new learning plan for yourself, right? So they, they do it really well. There's a lot of blended learning schools propping up throughout the country, something I've written a lot about where they take digital curriculum and they in effect do the same thing uh, where you know you can work through the Khan Academy to learn your math unit or whatever else, right? And the teacher comes over and says, okay, now we're going to apply this in a project with a small group. Uh, and oh, Michael, though, it seems like you're struggling with this application of it. It's because you have a hole here in your learning. You can go back into Khan Academy and master it or whatever it is, right? I'm just using these as examples. And I think the big principles are a few things. One, the universe of what I can learn needs to all be there. <laughs> and it needs to be in the hands of the learner themselves. And it's not just like through ninth grade biology or something like that, but like science, <laughs> like literally through graduation. These are all the things that you, you know, the basics that you all need to learn. And then all the opportunities you have to go in different directions based on your interests and passions and what and the questions that spark you and so forth. And I don't have to ask permission, but I, it's, in, it's in my hands as the learner. And then the teacher's job in that, in, in, in that universe is, yes, helping to introduce concepts, make sure, you know, help me plan to build my habits of success, my executive function skills and so forth, help me develop agency in my self-directed nature so that I don't just sit back and do nothing, right? And, um, and help introduce things or connect me to maybe individuals outside of school that spark my passions and spark my interest and spark my curiosity to say like, gee, I never knew I could go, you know, be an engineer. What does one do? Oh, you have to learn math to go do that. Let's go run down that road. Right. Um, and on and on and on. And so I, I think fundamentally empowering the learners with the, with, with the learning materials and, and, and putting everything out there and planning everything out there is, is important. But then secondly, moving away from this sorting notion that that is schools, which is to say that I'm trying to figure out what groupings of kids are where, or that I'm going to assign grades as labels to different kids, but instead saying that we as the adults in the system, our job is to help make sure every individual is able to master certain sets of knowledge and skills and the like, and that our job is to make sure every single student can start to carve out those things that they want to go deep in and start to discover things about themselves and what makes them tick and so forth. 
which is a very different mindset. And then that changes tests uh, as well, right? From these sort of autopsies of what percentage <laughs> did you miss uh, to instead saying like, oh, actually an assessment is a great opportunity because it gives you feedback on how you did. And then you take that feedback and you keep learning or you say like, oh yeah, I really have mastered this. I'm going to move on to the next skill, right? You think about learning piano, say, you don't jump in playing, uh, you know, a piano concerto. You jump in with some basic building blocks. You 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 get feedback in your lessons. You get better and better. You practice, and as you master material, you start taking on more complex things. Some of us, like me, at some point decide to branch into jazz. Other people go deep in classical, and great. But you have this foundation of of mastery and really this learning cycle where that that puts the student in charge. And where assessment and performance is absolutely part of it, but it's an empowering experience as opposed to a sorting one uh, to, to just declare that you are this or that. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads. But this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Let's talk about mastery because yeah. um, I interviewed a while back um, Dr. Paula Blank from uh, Southern New Hampshire. I think you actually connected me with him. Thank you, by the way. Yeah, that was you a really bet. good interview. But I love the way they approach it there. It's the not yet or mm -hmm. almost there mentality versus the C, D, or F or whatever it might be. And you talk in the book about taking those higher ed concepts and kind of trickling them down into public school, right, about, you know, how education is delivered. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I, 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 and I love the way you just put it, which is instead of sort of grades that you can't do anything about, I think the big shift, right, is to saying for any given competency you're trying to learn, you either haven't started it yet, you have started it and you're just beginning, you're not quite there yet, or you've mastered it. And uh, in, in effect, we move to this model where you're learning phonics so that you can learn to read. Okay, you just started, and, and that's where you are right now. Oh, now you're able to put together, right, you know, to sound out words and so forth. Now you're starting to master this. Okay, now let's talk about uh, fluency and the ability to do it with some speed and actually read. Okay, now let's start to think about the competencies around comprehension. What you're actually, uh, are you understanding what you're reading? And oh, Michael, you're still not quite fluent enough. So you lose the meaning right before you even get to the end of the page. Okay, so let's work back and figure out where that hole is. Because it's not that you're never going to get this and we're going to pass you on to high school with the inability to read, but instead we're going to really support you and figure out what is it you need to get to the state where you can read with fluency and we're not going to leave that hole in there and so it's going to impact, frankly, every single thing you do. Uh, mm -hmm. And so that, that's the big idea. And Sal Khan always says, 
you would never build a house where you say, we built the foundation. We got about 80% of it right, but we're just going to move on to the first floor and I'm sure it'll stand on its own. And then you say, oh, we did the first floor. We got 75% of it. I, I, I'm not sure if the 25% was a supporting structure. Or it was just a random wall, but I'm sure it'll be fine. We'll just go ahead and build the second floor. But that's how our school system works. And it's insane when we know these critical foundational concepts, particularly as a young kid, are absolutely critical to the things that you're going to learn later. Like math is a cumulative subject or reading. If you don't know how to read, you're not going to be able to read to learn later on. And so there's some of these things that are so foundational that to not have a mastery mindset and system behind it. I mean, this is the other thing that's driving me nuts right now is that we talk a lot about learning loss and so forth. Our system by design embeds failure in it. Like we know that you are not going to, not every student is going to master the skills we're teaching in a three week unit. And yet we've moved past it anyway. By design, we have embedded failure. If, if the goal is to make sure everyone's successful, that like the system is doing the exact opposite. It's insane. And so we have to flip that on its head and say, the learning is going to be the constant when you dive into something. And yeah, I get it. Like there's certain topics that maybe you will midway through be like, it's not foundational. It's not critical. It's not me. Fine. The, the mark will say not yet mastered <laughs> and we'll know that. And, and that's okay too for certain concepts. But the critical thing is not just to pass someone on as though they've done some percentage of it and, 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 and wave a wand as if it's not going to matter later on life. Cause it does, these gaps come back to haunt us. Hmm. I love that analogy of the house and the foundation. That's right on. I mean, so many kids are missing those foundational skills or learning and, and yeah, it's affecting them, especially in like high school. Right. And in high school is all about, it's not about doing well in high school. It's about doing as well as you can so you can get into the best college, right? So that's another that's another episode for another time. But yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> don't get me started. But um <laughs> you talk in the book too about beginning with the end in mind. Yeah. Which a good Stephen Covey habit there. Exactly. But, um, can you elaborate on that as well? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it gets to this purpose conversation, right? And just as we're innovating in school communities, being super clear about what does a successful student or graduate look like? And let's define that in plain English in a way that the community agrees upon and or at least understand where the differences are. And then let's backward map from there, right? What are the things that we need to do as a school to make sure that children get to that point? And I think we often jump into that part of the conversation before we've even defined what we want students to know and be able to do and contribute uh, in, in the world um, first. And so as a result, I think there's a lot of misunderstandings because we haven't had that conversation in, in a community in the first place. So so that's really, it, it's kind of simple, right? Begin with the end in mind. Frankly, I would say a mistake I made in the book is I conflated the portrait of a graduate, I think, with that conversation. As I've thought about it more deeply, to me, the portrait of a graduate conversation that so many schools and districts and communities are having right now in states I actually think that's a little education wonk land uh, and jargon. Um, and we just need to have the plain English conversation about like, what do we want kids to be able to go do when they leave here? And then let's think about, okay, what does that mean for the knowledge, skills, like the specific standards and competencies that they need to have or not have in common, et cetera, et cetera. 
then we can dig into the design. But we can't even get into that conversation if we haven't had some agreement up front around what's the purpose? Like, why are we here? Mm -hmm. Well, and we talk about getting our kids, you know, preparing them to be career ready or college ready or whatever ready yeah. that we want them to be. But you're right. It's it's sort of this portrait of a graduate that is a little, I don't want to say ambiguous, but it's a little bit like subjective, right? What you yeah. think they need versus what I think they need. What about what they think they need? And yeah. I've had multiple conversations on this podcast too about what employers are seeing that kids don't have, right? So like exactly the things you're talking about, executive function, collaboration, critical thinking, all those things. Um, so that all fits into it as well. Chapter seven in the book is about the parent experience, which I really yeah. want to make sure we cover. By the way, this interview could go on for hours <laughs> as usual. <laughs> I love talking to you. But um, can you talk about that? And by the way, I'm so glad that you have this chapter. And I love that you referenced the jobs to be done. So for those who might not have read um, Choosing College, maybe you want to explain that too. Appreciate it. So my colleagues, actually, I didn't do the research on this one, but my colleagues started with this question of why do parents switch schools? And uh, we use this methodology or theory, if you will, that has been used in, in product development um, to develop literally I think nearly 4,000 products and services that have been successful in the marketplace and everything from healthcare to education, to consumer products, to food, to uh, defense systems, like all over the place. Right. Um, and it, a job to be done is basically it's the progress that an individual is trying to make in a struggling context or circumstance. So what are they trying to accomplish the outcome in some moment of friction, right, in their lives. And and basically the idea is, you know, people don't want to just buy the quarter inch drill, if you will. They want the freaking hole at the end of it. But it's not just the <laughs> hole, right? They want the hole to do something, to hang a painting, to wire something in in the house that no one will ever see. And understanding what the outcome is and the context helps you understand what is a good or bad solution. And it's not the same for everyone because our contexts are different. And so we took this approach with schools to ask, why are parents, why do they change schools? And uh, I, I won't spoil it all, but like the high level, if you will, is that there's four different jobs to be done that parents have when they choose a school. Um, everything from help my child escape, what is a really bad situation, to help me uh, be part of a values-aligned community. To and the third one is, um, you know, the academics are fine, but like I feel like the whole child is not being developed. Uh, and then the fourth one is follow my plan for my kids. So this is sort of like the cynical side is like just get them into the good college, quote unquote. Uh, but the less cynical side would be like I want them to have a better life than I had, right? And so I see this as sort of the means. Um, and understanding these jobs, you would design schools very different to help parents in these different circumstances make progress, right? For the child uh, that you want to be part of a values-aligned community, for example, you know, all the AP classes and the academics that are geared around college-ready, like, that's antithetical to what they're trying to do, and vice versa. And yet, in our school's we cram all those families together and be like, you have to drink from the same fire hose, right? In effect, one size fits all. 
And what I think the pandemic really showed us, and, and I tried to use the framework more to illuminate this than, than be prescriptive, is that just as there's no one-size-fits-all way to educate a child, there's no one-size-fits-all way to serve families and parents. They're in vastly different circumstances and situations with different goals and, and so forth. And you know, those are the jobs, but it goes even deeper, like childcare you know, you know, needs or um, f- philosophically, like how, how do you want to approach educating a child? And yet, I'll give an example that's playing out you know, in my hometown of Lexington, Massachusetts, where the superintendent wanted to change the bell times, move uh, you know, high school times later in line with the research that adolescent kids ought to sleep later, and they were going to move elementary school times earlier because like, there's only a limited number of school buses, and uh, half the community like went up in arms like pitchforks, right? And half the community was like cheering her on, and there's a no-win situation. And like the question I asked is, well, why does it have to be an either or? Why why couldn't you create a couple solutions? Like this one size fits all mentality does nothing for families uh, in it, and it's frankly causing a lot of them to leave the public schools because it doesn't meet their circumstances. And so that's really what I wanted to inject in this because I think a lot of times. Um, a, educators view parents as sort of a nuisance or something like that, um, as opposed to seeing them as an asset. And frankly, I think it's like 13% of waking hours of a kid are spent in school until they're 18. So you kind of got to think about the parent and, and and that part of the equation if you're a school, if you really want to be successful. But B, I want parents to think about what am I trying to optimize for and how do I help my school and community understand that and design around it so that we're not swimming against each other, but, but we can all make the progress that, are, that, that we legitimately need to make? So how can parents be part of the solution? Like, yeah. speaking as a probably a nuisance parent myself, um, <laughs> how can we really move the needle? Because we don't have a forum to do that. And we don't have influence. And yeah, some of us honestly are just complain, 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 we'll never do anything to improve the situation. But for those who really want to become active and get involved, how can they go about that? Yeah, I think there's two things. One, I I actually think those parents who are opting out and opting into other school options, I think that's great, because I think it puts more pressure uh, on the schools that they've got to innovate and be responsive or else, right? Uh, and so I think, you know, some people say, oh, you're, it's brain drain or you're pulling kids out, but I, then act, right? Like, and so I think that's actually a positive. The, the second thing, if you want to stay in the schooling community for any number of reasons, I think, you know, go in there and start with empathy with what the educators are struggling with, right? Lean into their struggles and, yep identify the pushes that are on them. So the jobs to be done as this methodology of there's pushes and pulls in everyone's life, right? Of things that are not good enough and new solutions that would be better. But then holding you back from making changes are sort of these anxieties and habits that hold you in place. And I think lean in on the educators, their their pushes, like all the friction that they're feeling. You know, for example, the teachers don't want to be arguing with the parents over giving the kid a B. Well, what if we did things differently <laughs> and then give them a pull to help them right escape it and then give them a language to say, well, what if we just innovated in this one classroom? 
Though I, I get it. You can't go to the school board meeting and flip the entire district over tomorrow. That that's I, we would both love magic wands, but it just doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. What if we just started this grade or this school, this classroom, or started a school within a school, or or you know little baby steps and sort of helped? I think the educators understand that they don't have to settle either in this equation and and be in this fight with parents in, in sort of an acrimonious way that that you you hear them and you need to be heard and that you're working together on these things and, and, and make it actionable for them in effect. And, and it's really leading from the bottom up, if you will. Mm. So who's doing it well? I know you, you talk about some of the schools in your book and I've interviewed some as well, yeah. but who do you think's doing it well and why? Yeah, well, by the way, it's interesting. One of the case studies in my book, I won't say which, but it it, it blew up since the book came out. And I, th- I think the big reason why is they took a one-size-fits-all mentality. They made everyone uh, a few uh, a little bit ago uh, do the exact same technology curriculum program. And some, it wasn't right for some families. Um, whereas everything else they had done before that was opt-in. They had six different, um, I'm going to mess up the numbers, but it, you know, it, was, it was something like uh, six different charter schools within the high school. So you could opt you know to the one that fit fit your needs they had three different campuses on the on on the middle school they had x number in the elementary school and then they said well everyone's going to do this and it provoked a backlash so just again the one size fits all thinking i think is the enemy of 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 progress and when you impose these mandates it just it 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 doesn't do anyone any favors. But in terms of who's doing it well, I think like Lindsay Unified School District in California, for example, is doing it extremely well, top to bottom. They've, they've, they're a school system that in um, mid-2000s really hit rock bottom. And I tell the story in the book of a uh, father going into the new high school principal's office with his son who had just graduated the week before and saying, son, can you read a paragraph in that newspaper for the principal? And the um, son looking at the father and saying, dad, you know, I can't read. Um, and you just crushed. Right. And, uh, so they, they moved to a mastery based model where we're not just going to pass kids along. Um, we're going to make sure that they master, uh, material. And so, uh, and not just that we're going to personalize the learning so that students can move at different paces that fit their needs. So we're not going to hold back the high achievers, right? We're going to let them soar. Um, and everyone in the school system is very clear about the purpose. So they all know that they're preparing the learners uh, to go out in the world and lead you know, lives of choice and, 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 and be successful after they leave the schools. And you ask, for example, the, 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 the person working in the cafeteria, why do you serve food to children? And they don't say, oh, I serve food so that they have a nice meal. They serve. They say, I serve food so that the kids can be successful here in achieving the purpose. And you say, well, why do you drive a bus in this district? Oh, I drive the bus so that kids can get to school on time and they can be successful in achieving this purpose. And like they all have that mission at their heart. And the numbers bear it out. Like it's an incredible growth story of achievement, engagement, uh, school discipline problems down, like everything is trending in the right direction over the last 15 years. Uh, 
because they've been clear about purpose, they've moved to mastery-based and personalized models, and not taken this top-down, we know what's best, everyone's going to do the same thing mindset. But that's because they have somebody at the top yes, who's championing that, and let's be honest, funding, right? Because doesn't it always boil down to funding? Well, so it's interesting. Yeah. I, so I don't think, I don't think I would think of Lindsay unified as a place that has, is rich in resources. Um, Mm -hmm. to me, it's more the first thing, right. That you said, which is that it's really about the leadership and the vision. And Tom Rooney is the superintendent. There was extremely clear about, about the vision and he used the resources to your point, right. To, to move in this direction. And I think that's the other piece of it. It's, it's, Schools are swimming in resources right now, federal dollars that have been, you know, doled out in the pandemic and so forth. The question is, are they using it just to prop up the existing system or are they using some of these dollars to be agents of transformation right now? Because here's the deal. If we blow this opportunity over the next couple of years and just go back into using the dollars that have always been there and just sort of do things as usual, it's going to be a lot harder to change, right? You need to take these resources and this is something else parents can help with, I think, is advocate to use them to create these new ways of doing school. Because this is the window. This is the opportunity where we are flush with resources. If schools don't move in this environment, I don't know when they will be able to. I'm cheering you on here because <laughs> I, you need to run for Secretary of Education or something. Um, I'll be your campaign manager. I'll be too radical for uh, most people probably, but yeah. Not for me. <laughs> Thank you. So you, I, one thing I do want to touch on though, because you talked about technology and, yeah. and you talk about it a lot in the book and the importance of um, using it more effectively and, and making it more useful in education. What do you have to, to say about that? Yeah. I, you know, I'm not a technology for technology's sake person. And I think as our kids move into high school, particularly so older students, they're going to be living in a digital world and we can't ignore that. And so one, acknowledging that, preparing them for that as part of their work, not as like the computer applications class on the side, but really integrated right into what they're doing uh, is important. And secondly, I think we have to be very clear that there's sort of central purposes of technology, right? It's to... uh, not to create more work for the teachers or the administrators or whatever else, but to help them uh, get important things done or to free up time so that they can spend more time in human to human interactions with the kids themselves or uh, to deepen the feedback loops, right? For the students, teachers, and, and, and so that they know what they need to do next on their trajectory of, of improvement and mastery. Um, and that technology all too often, I think we, we sort of just impose it on the existing structures. Uh, and so we have, you know, we have a one size fits all whole, whole classroom lecture sort of thing in person. And then we throw it on zoom and we wonder why the thing that wasn't working before is working even worse now, (laughs) as opposed to saying, how do we use technology to allow students to take ownership over their learning? How do we use technology to deepen the feedback that they're getting about their learning? How do we use technology so that we can deepen teachers' understanding of each of their students and what they need? And and that's sort of the filter, I think, through which we through which any school system ought to be asking uh, as they look at technology, which is 
again, not that there's a silver bullet or not that it's technology for technology's sake, but really, is it helping me do those things to get to know my students better and help them make progress? And if the answer is no, then I don't think it's a technology you should be implementing. Uh, you know, there's a lot of ed tech companies out there that say, oh, my technology is amazing if only teachers would use it correctly. Well, if it's asking them to do a bunch of things that are sort of ancillary to the job and whatever else, I, I, that, that's a bridge too far in this world. I think you really have to make it about helping them get to know their students better and, and be more efficient and, and, uh, in, in their jobs and, and give them that feedback on how their kids are doing. So much good information. I, I love these conversations so much. Um, this book is fantastic. Listeners, I highly recommend reading it and sharing it and giving it to your school's principal, um, your superintendent, anybody who will take a copy and read it, um, shoot them an email and suggest they listen to this podcast or and or buy the book. Um, again, it's called From Reopen to Reinvent, Recreating School for Every Child by Michael Horn. Any last thoughts, any pieces of advice or or calls to action for parents or educators? Yeah, I, I'll say if parents get excited and they buy the book and if their school does a book study or something like that, I'd, I'd be delighted to like zoom in or something like that, right? And, you know, take 30 minutes at some point and, and work with them because the book is is half of it is prescriptive, right? It's me saying like, School shouldn't work this way. This is a better way for them to work. And half of it is like some very practical steps that they can take to actually get on the road to change and, and design better environments. And so if parents or educators listening to this get excited about it and you know go down that road where, say, 10 administrators or whatever or, or are reading it together and thinking through it, I'd be happy to jump on a Zoom or whatever um, to try to further this because we need action, not just talk. Ugh, what a great offer. Thank you for, no, thank for offering you. to do that. Well, so let's talk about where people can find you and reach out to you because I'm sure they will want to. <laughs> oh, you bet. Uh, so you can check out my Substack newsletter, obviously, The Future of Education, it's called, um, by Michael B. Horn. Uh, my website's michaelbhorn.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Michael B. Horn, as long as that is still around as a medium. Uh, we'll see. Uh, um, but I'm also, I, I host a few podcasts. So my higher education one is called Future You. Uh, my K-12 one, which this book was birthed out of, uh, is called Class Disrupted. And then on YouTube, I have a video cast, which is called The Future of Education, uh, where I interview change makers and the like and uh, get to live, learn from them. And uh, it's, it's uh, you know, equally fascinating on just like you do. And we get to learn from, uh, you know, each other and the people who are doing such interesting work. It's, it's a great way for me to learn as the, as the uh, listeners and, and viewers learn as well. Yeah, this is such a great space. Everybody I meet is so passionate and smart and really really, I feel like I'm getting better because of the people I talk to. So thank you again for being here. I really enjoy our conversation every time we talk and I'm really grateful for your time. Well, thank you. And, and thanks for what you're continuing to do to further this conversation among parents. I think that's where we need to have it. So I, I just deeply appreciate the work you continue to do. And, uh, and thank you. Huge thanks to Michael Horn for joining me again on the podcast. I always learn so much from him, and I'm left feeling a bit more optimistic than I was before we started. 
I think the biggest takeaway from our conversation is that we, as parents, have a voice when it comes to our kids' education, and we need to start using it. We need to ask ourselves, is a one-size-fits-all education model good enough for our kids? My answer is no. And we can sit around and complain about what our kids aren't getting from their education, or we can do something about it. As Michael said, there is no better time than now to create change in education. The pandemic taught us that there is opportunity to pivot, to innovate, and to improve. Let's work with, not against, our teachers and administrators to cultivate the kind of schools we want for our kids. I'll say it again, this is a system problem. It is not a teacher problem or an administrator problem. But I strongly believe that if we all work together to create the type of learning environment that our kids deserve, then everyone wins. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm grateful that you're listening, and I welcome your feedback. All links and references can be found in the show notes at highschoolhamsterwheel.com. I'd love it if you would follow me and connect on Facebook and Instagram. That's it for now. I'll be back soon with another episode of the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Marie Kelly. Wild Precious Life is a podcast about dreaming big, digging in and connecting across distance, division, and loss. In each episode, I talk with prize-winning writers, musicians, and wanderers who remind all of us how we can make the most of the time we have. So meet me here. Let's walk and talk and dream and discover what it means to be wild, precious, and brave. <laughs>